Welcome to Whiskey Fent, where we believe every bottle of whiskey has a story to tell. Three guys, one bottle, endless bonding. Here are your hosts, Brian, Evan, and JJ. All right, hello, Whiskey Fit, and everybody that's listening and on the other end of this one. Here we come. It's myself and Mr. Evan Coachman and JJ Greger, and we've got a little Whiskey Fit episode for you all. So the episode today, the whiskey on the menu today is one that I am extremely excited about. It's a Horse Soldier. The bottle that we're working with tonight is the small batch bourbon. It's the one that's kind of the middle of the row. They have their uh, regular Kentucky straight bourbon, and then they also have a barrel strength. I've had them all. They're all phenomenal. To me, the sweet spot is this uh, small batch one. It comes in at 95 proof, and I don't know. I just kind of like it. so something a small batch? So these ones, what's so beautiful about this is when the when they're – what do you call the uh, the wine connoisseur people that know everything about wine? Sommelier. Sommeliers. So whatever that person's called in the whiskey world. I believe it's still called a sommelier. Okay, well, whatever that person's <laughs> called, they get the distinct <laughs> pleasure of tasting all of the whiskeys that are sitting in these barrels. And like a Somalian pirate? And when they, <laughs> when they make smaller batches of them, and they are a little more specific on the barrels that they choose. That's what kind of makes them these small batch deals. So did I hit that right? Sounds about that right. Sounds about right? Okay. So that's what we're working with here. But with that being said, kind of the background on this thing. So let, let me get into this a little bit. So the story kind of behind this one, why I chose this to start out with, this is my first choice for old whiskey fit here. The whole idea here is I have a little bit of a collection and I'm starting to get into this whiskey over the last year. And... Uh, I, I literally I blame it all on COVID. Yeah. It's really COVID's fault. You have a problem? No, I don't. So, well, no, you know, but, actually, no. the interesting no. thing is, somebody at the gym today, we were talking about this, and I, I actually said, I was like, man, I just, I've got a, this whiskey problem. And they said, well, are your bottles full or are they empty? And I was like, well, no, they're all full or half full, or I just drink a little bit out of each one. And they said, well, then you don't have a drinking problem. You're fine. You might have a collection problem, <laughs> but you don't have a drinking problem. If I was to had a drinking problem, they would all be empty. That's accurate. Am I right? And why would they be in there if they were empty? Right. Then there wouldn't be anything in there because I drank them Then all. you wouldn't know if you had a problem or not. Yeah, I, no, I would because I drank them all. Because you'd be drunk every night. Right. You have a problem. Anyway, I might have a collection problem. So anyway, so... The problem is he doesn't have all the whiskey in his cabinet. <laughs> That's the problem. Yeah. So weekly, I'll, I'll go on my trip usually to usually to goody goody. So the weekly, uh, you might be and, making the case and, for the problem. And weekly, or maybe every tenth day, because because here's where I run into is the fact that I get my hair cut every ten to twelve days, and my barber just happens to be right down the road from the local goody goody. Didn't which makes it very convenient to just why don't slide you through. Like a specs or a total wine, way less expensive. But goody goody is literally within a mile of where I get my hair cut. It just some, makes they got some sense. Good, they got some good choices. You're too. losing money. And it's two birds with one stone. Have you heard that one, young man? Okay. Here so anyway, back to the whiskey. So this is what happens when you three shots into a recording night. On, on one of my <laughs> one of my whiskey trips, I was carousing the owls, not looking for anything in particular, and I saw this really significant, badass, pretty bottle, and it had these placards on the front, and there was three of them. There was a, a light bronze and a dark bronze, and there was a silver one. Anyway, and it had this as you can see, this cool soldier on, sitting on a horse on the front. 
So I looked it up and I turned the bottle around like I always do. And I started reading the back and, and let me just read a little bit into this back horse soldier. Bourbon whiskey is uniquely complex and aged in charred new American Oak barrels. Every bottle of horse soldier. Bourbon whiskey is a piece of American history. It is carefully crafted by green Braves who answered America's call just days after nine 11 with a daring insertion into Northern Afghanistan on horseback. This brave and unconventional act earned them the monkier. Moniker. Moniker. Thank you. Moniker, the horse soldier. So I read this as I'm uh, standing in the aisle at Goody Goody. And nobody was looking at me awkward yet. And I was like, man, that's really interesting. And as a backstory to that, for for those that don't know, because the folks at the table here, in December of 2000, I got hired in Arlington Fire De- in Arlington, Virginia Fire Department. And I spent six months in recruit school. I graduated in May of 2001 from recruit school, got assigned to fire station three on the C platoon. Captain Charles Davis, who maybe one day will listen to this, who knows, <laughs> was my first captain. He actually nicknamed me Stud. So if you ever look at my AOL email, it's Stud ENG 103. Oh That's because he God. nicknamed me Stud and I was on Engine 103. So anyway, Sweet. you got to remember 2001. That's like internet is relatively new. Email is new. That was my first email address. Neither him nor I are concerned about the internet or all of that. It's the fact that you still take it and are proud of it and I think that stud. he was being that serious. Is, that, is, that is history and I'm super proud of it. And if I could get Captain Charles Davis on the phone right now to talk to you boys, he would tell you how special that was. So anyway. <laughs> but was he being serious? Yeah, very serious. Because every time we ran calls with young ladies, they were always oh. trying to give me their phone numbers or talk to me or something. Mm-hmm. So that's mm-hmm. how I got the nickname mm-hmm. Stud on the fire department. So anyway, that that evolved in the years. <laughs> and a couple of buddies that I worked with, then we became the boy band at one point when I was assigned to Engine 101 on the this C platoon. Before the way before hair? facial hair because I couldn't have it. Okay. Baby face. I was baby face, 23, 24-year-old. But... I was part of the boy bands too. So anyway, that's a whole nother story. Back to the main story. So of course, I graduate from the academy in May of, of 01. I get assigned to fire station. Fire station number three on the C platoon and 9-11 happens, right? And I, we can get into that, I guess, a little bit on kind of where I was. But So 9-11 was very significant in my life. I was a 21-year-old kid at that time. I had only been active on the fire department professionally for not even 10 months only been assigned to the station for four months and it was a huge deal. It was obviously the biggest fire and probably biggest event that I was ever going to face in a fire department. And it happened at such a young part of my career. So nine 11 was really big to me on that. Like a lot of folks thought, and just like these folks probably did that were green braids and the ones that went after them, me and one of my buddies, Justin Scott, that I lived with and worked with and went to recruit school with his dad was in the Marine Corps. My dad was in the Marine Corps back in the day. We actually had very deep, deep conversations about quitting the fire department and joining the Marine Corps. I think probably thank God that I didn't do that, but uh, you know, we had, so anyway, so, so it's, it's significant to me. So as I read the back of this bottle, my, my ears perk up, I look at the video online, I go to their website and I look at this video and you've, you've got to watch the video. Maybe we'll put a link to the video in the, in the credits here. You got to watch this video, but it explains how these, these green braves were already in country in Afghanistan and they didn't have any kind of mechanical vehicles there because they, were, they weren't there to fight a war. They were just there in country to do badass shit. Yeah, they were just there doing badass shit at night, right? That's what they were there for. And, and President George Bush tasked them 
to do some really cool things. Well, the Northern Alliance folks that they teamed up with taught them how to ride horses and they rode horses into battle. The mo- There's a movie and a book for that matter called 12 Strong, but the movie, especially for the ladies that are listening and maybe some of you guys, Chris Hemsworth, better I, known I as like Thor. He's got great abs. That guy is is in the movie. He's the main he's the main dude in the movie. It is a phenomenal movie, but it talks about the story and tells it. So that's how I got hooked onto this whiskey. That's why it is so special to me. I took it up to the counter to purchase it. The gentleman, his name is Brian. Brian and I always talk at Goody Goody. Anyway. You're on the first name basis with a guy at a liquor store. Yeah, three of them actually. And you don't have a problem. No. It's, it's totally fine. Okay. And this so Brian, I, Brian asked me about it and he says, so is that any good? I said, I don't know, but you know, I'm just trying it for the first time, but do you know the story? And so I literally just told him that story. I told you all and the hair is standing up on his arms and I'm getting the same thing. And I've got chills all over my body telling him. And then he tells me that he's from New York city and that he lived in Manhattan on nine 11. And so it was just, it's been a significant whiskey in my life for that reason. It's taken me back, you know, almost 20 years now. And that's just why I enjoy this one. It's literally one of my favorites. It's, it's probably for me, a top three that I would never live with. I would never not have this in my cabinet. You mentioned one thing with, when you were telling us the, the pre-story with all this, the stamping of the bottles when they, when they, yeah. when they blow out the bottles and they <clears throat> do the stamping of the bottles. Yeah. So as, as cool as the story is with horse soldier and the green braids, the nine 11, everything that, that connects in, I think the coolest part and when everybody gets to see this bottle, you'll see why it's so cool, is that the New York Port Authority has sent its American Freedom Distillery. You can't get a much better name than that for a whiskey, but American Freedom Distillery is who owns and operates this company, and they have World Trade Center steel that is molded into their stamps. So every bottle gets stamped with World Trade Center steel. So every single bottle that you'll ever purchase or buy and consume a piece of world trainer world trade center still has touched it. That is that's that gives me chills on that one. There are a lot of cool stories in whiskeys. I, I I don't know. I'd be hard pressed to find a cooler story than that in whiskey period. It's just a badass story. So I agree. I almost feel it's like a that's like a disservice to trade to, to, to go taste it now, but no. hell, you know what? So no. let's, no. let's actually has radiation on. Oh, we got, it's, all right. it's possible. We're good with that. Let's cheers on this one, man. <clears throat> it smells like a Sharpie. Oh, Jesus. It does kind of smell like a Sharpie. If anybody to tell me it doesn't smell like a Sharpie, <laughs> it smells like a Sharpie. So, no, not a Sharpie. It smells like the, the dry... The, the, yeah, excuse uh, me, the dry, dry erase. The, yeah. the Expo marker. The Expo all marker. Right. I mean, I'm yeah. not going to argue with you. I mean, y'all probably smell like... All noses are different. Uh, what does the stud nose smell? <laughs> You're never going to live that way. Butterscotch. Butterscotch. You spelled butterscotch in this. A butterscotch sundae from Dairy Queen. He's got a problem, guys. That's what I smell. Do you know what butterscotch smells like? Yeah, man. That butterscotch candy. That's what I smell. Uh, First taste on neat. It's uh, for those people that are not as well versed. There's not much taste to it, to be honest. Like it's, it's. There's a burn to it. There's a bite to it at the back end, but the first end when it hits your mouth, there's not much of a taste that I get from somebody that doesn't have a, a very expansive palate in this thing. So we've had a couple different whiskeys tonight. I've had whiskeys in my life. This is interesting because 
I don't know. It hits my mouth and I don't I don't get much. Here's where I think the oak taste mm-hmm. that I get a lot of on my palate, a lot of oak. Yeah, it's very woody. If, yeah. See, I don't like we've we have done in past episodes blue label and blue label to me, Johnny Walker Blue Label was way more woody than this was for but, me. But burnt wood. So you're talking burnt wood. Maybe, yeah. Smoked. Yeah. So, I, I mean, and y'all have to smoke, educate me on this, right. but as far as the woody taste, the Blue Label was much, yeah. much more than... To this. me, the Blue Label is kind of like a brisket smoke, like a like a food smoke. Okay. Whereas this is more like, not necessarily a wine, like you're not getting the hint of it. It's like you're actually, like, I'm chewing on some bark. Okay. Right. You know what I mean? I mean, it's not, it's not, right. uh, it sounds bad when I say it. It's, I don't, it's not derogatory. It's like, you know what? I actually just put a piece of wood in my mouth. Okay. Johnny Walker and scotches, but especially that is peat. Remember we talked about right, that right, a little right, bit yeah. and the peat is burned. Right. And that's the smoke. So that's the, that's the cigar smell or taste mm-hmm. that you get out of that. And then the difference is this is like a dry wood or a dried oak that the AJ is referring yeah, this to. Has a more, chewing this on has a, a more bitter taste. It's not the... Bitter is a good way to explain it. It doesn't, it, like it, you know, when I... I drank gin a lot at yeah. one point in my life, and it it's drier. Right, it doesn't have as much of a sweet taste to it, which I'm not a big sweet person. Right, but when it comes to alcohols, this has what I would consider more of a dry taste as yeah. opposed to what we've done with Blue Label See, or some good. of those bourbons that we've had before. You're finding your palate a little bit there. That's pretty good. The way you just said that. Thanks, young stud. That's pretty good. <laughs> he's, but yeah, it's but he's good. old now. Is it like withered stud? Is it, I don't know. What is this? Oh, gentlemen, we could go into stories. Yeah. Take him out to the pasture and I shoot know, him. For the, that's the way I felt like um, the last three or four months. The the <laughs> it's got for everything we've tasted tonight. It's got a little bit more of that burn on the palate. Like that, I'll that, agree. that cinnamon, yeah. like you, you like, I don't want to call it schnapps, but it's like that, like it's ginger. Is that what ginger is supposed to taste like? Yep. All right. It's ginger on your palate. I could, uh, that's what right. you're getting. So this I just, I just got educated. This has burned the most the chest out of all the ones we've done three tonight. This has burned the most on the chest. So yeah, I don't, st- I don't get that. Like for me, like my sister lives up North up in Michigan and like you go out for walks and then she lives on a little lake up there. You go out and you do your, do the little booze cruise in the middle of the night and you take hot dam out and you do cinnamon schnapps and do that type of stuff. Take the shot and it warms up everything. This, that warmth stays right in my mouth with this one. For me, it doesn't go down into my chest. Like, a, like there are a few whiskeys we've had or whiskey Wednesdays past month or so that it's like, you know what? That goes all the way down the sternum. And into, See, into that's how I feel this one is. Like, I can feel this all the way down and following it into my stomach. It's not a bad thing. It's just it's got a more of a burn than anything else has. So the question I have coming back is, yeah. like, when you breathe back out after you get that burn down in your stomach, what are you getting on your nose? So I'm not getting taste. a, like, I'm getting more burn in my chest than I've gotten over the last two that we've had of other whiskeys that we had or any whiskeys that I've had, really, that I can think of. But when I breathe out and do that exhale... I don't get the aftertaste like when we did the wild turkey 101 where you get that aftertaste that seems like it's sitting on the back side of your mouth or on the outside of your tongue. It's that ethanol burn. <laughs> I don't get that with this. I mean, this is a, to be honest, this is a very pleasant. This is another one of those that you could, you know, we joked with that wild turkey 101 that you could end up drinking half yeah. of the bottle. And yeah. I know like you could end up doing that with this. 
just on first and tasting it neat, I haven't even tasted it with ice in it yet. Yep. You could get yourself in some serious trouble. The Friday that I bought this, brought it home, and my father-in-law and brother-in-law came over kind of unannounced. And so I was like, well, this is a perfect opportunity to pop this thing. And we drank the bottle in maybe two hours. And it went quick. Now on ice, it's dangerous, isn't it? You put it on ice. Like that's oh, the first Jesus sip I've had Lord. on ice. And now the mm. the chest burn is gone. Mm. I like and where you're going. There's a little bit. Out. There's a little bit more flavor in Ooh. the in the first taste for me. This is again for me. You like I said, this is the Wild Turkey 101 was sweeter. And more syrupy, not heavy, but more right. syrupy. This is drier and more bitter. And you, in in my words, you could get yourself in some serious trouble with this. So it's funny with the bitter, where it's like a pleasant bitter, like like a good citrus bitter of something that's bitter citrus. orange. Yeah, like a bitter orange that tastes really good, like a grenadine kind yeah. of sweetness kind of deal. But I tell you what hammers me on ice like that is cherries. It's like, yeah, I get it. See, I wouldn't have gone cherry. Like I, Boy. like I catch, I catch more of the caramel coming back out of it. Mm. Like I'm, a, I guess I'm a caramel palate kind of guy. But I get a heavy cherry. My <laughs> black cherry, maybe I can see that black cherry, like the deeper, the deeper, darker cherry. I can go one. there. For those of you that are listening to this and wondering how in the hell that they are tasting fruit in the middle of whiskey, I also share your <laughs> sentiment because I don't know what the fuck they're talking about. It's like an onion. You got to you so. got to peel back the layers. Yeah, breathe, pull, man. Yeah, peel back breathe. the layers. You got to smell it. Drink it. Swish you got to put it in and swish it, and you got to swallow it. Fruit. You got to try to pull it apart. There's probably some derogatory, like perverse comments throwing in that. Yeah, but like the, one of the things that there is, it's, it might be the fact that this is whiskey number three. <laughs> but uh, you know like in the old school it's like it's so good when it goes over yeah. the lips when it touches your um, lips it's, it's so good it's so good it's like so, we're gonna go streaking tonight or something mm -hmm. stupid but uh, it's a phenomenal whiskey it is really good because it comes back and it hits that hits that like the tingle on the lips back after that the cherries and the fruit and the caramels whatever you want to call it I would say that I mean me personally I think this is the, the best one we've drank tonight personally but I want to touch back in yeah Ryan obviously has massive sentiment towards 9-11. And I always just like enjoy playing this game anyway, but like the where were you game for I agree. all of things. But like JJ, a little bit older, got a couple more years on us. Where on 9-11, September 11, 2001, what is JJ Greger doing? I am, well, it was supposed to be. Like the world shifted that day for, for really all of us here in the, in the States. I was supposed to start my outpatient clinical rotation for chiropractic school that day. That was day one of my clinical rotation. When I woke up that day, it was Tuesday morning. Monday was, I think it was, we had off. The school was closed. Something was going on. Clinics were closed. Something was going on with schools that day. We were closed. So I was going in to meet my staff doc, to do my first rounds of paperwork and all that stuff to get things going. Just all the all the, the the BS side of of medical practice or chiropractic practice, and I remember waking up and it was listening to one hundred two seven Jagger in the mornings and like they said a plane hit the towers. I'm like that's flipping weird. So I go turn on the TV and I had a chiropractic table sitting in my living room and a and a couch a futon. It was all we had as furniture. 
I, my ass did not get off of that just watching it for the next 14 hours. Called my family in West Virginia, made sure that they were good and everything else like that. It's like, well, what the hell is actually going on? No clue, no nothing like that. I had my uh, suit. Uh, we had to wear ties and, and, and everything. So I had my tie on, had my slacks on, and, and I was ready to go out the door. And it's like, yeah, no, I'm I'm not going anywhere today. We're just going to sit here and, 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 and cry a little bit. And, and say what the hell and we had similar similar thought processes like all right do we do we go join the navy do i go do this what do i mean what do we do i mean it's like shit we just got attacked so i you know smartly enough i finished school but that was that was where i was it was the first day i was supposed to start and man that that was a that was a mind mind-boggling uh experience just watching all that unfold much less, be, I like I couldn't imagine have been in the middle. Yeah, we could fill yours in Evan, and I'll uh, I'll talk about Mike's little bit of my I mean, experience, kind of where like, I was and how I got there. And I have different, a massively dis- different. Well, you were, you were like, like eleven. Two? So I, was, I think I was twelve, and I, and I was old enough that you're 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 aware enough of what's you were going how old? on. I was twelve. I was in seventh grade. I remember, like I so I got he was Roman's age. Yeah. So I have a 12-year-old upstairs. The first Gulf War, I was well, older than he was at that happening. Well, the first Gulf War, I was the same age. I, well, I was 11. Yeah. But anyway, I'm sorry. So I was 12. God. I was driving. <laughs> my mom was driving me back from an orthodontist appointment. I do remember that. I remember getting back to school. I remember on the radio hearing briefly that something had happened. My mom didn't say much. I don't even know if she really heard or really recognized. I mean, she was rushing to get back to work as everybody does once they their kid gets their you know doctorate appointment or whatnot. But I do remember going into my seventh grade class, second period, to Mr. Watson, and Mr. Watson got a phone call on his landline hmm. in his school in his classroom, and it turned out that that was a, a family member of his that uh, was higher ranking something in the military that called him and gave him information and then he was in the middle of a lecture or something and i just remember him answering the phone walking to the left answering the phone walking back to the right he pulled down the projector and just turned on tv it said we're basically said we're done talking and we are we're gonna do this i remember going from class to class that day we didn't cancel like we didn't cancel school i think kids left school but basically every classroom that we went in it was just a continuing watching tv but both of y'all were I mean, not a rock throw. Well, you were, but I mean, you were closer to the quote-unquote action. We were in Texas, and and I was in Dallas. Oh, okay, I thought you were in the northern. No, no, I thought no, you were I in, in Dallas. Side. So no, we, I was in school here in Dallas. Where I was at, Frisco did a really good job of of not downplaying it, but none of us ever felt there was no panic. I mean, I know that my mom was very concerned because we had an uncle that either was in the Pentagon or was just recently stationed or or. He had a, a connection to the Pentagon, and, and my mom's going to be pissed for me not to remember that. But. So she was concerned about that, but he was safe, and we found out about that. And I think once I got home, they explained something had happened. But you're 12 years old. Yeah. And then sink in. You, you can't conceptualize what just right. happened. I do remember watching on TV the, the towers collapsing. Like, I, I have that memory, but I also at the same time don't have emotional ties to what I saw. I just remember seeing collapse essentially, yeah. and that was like that was where I was at. No, I remember watching vividly, watching first tower go down, and then the second tower go down, and then before that, the strike at the Pentagon. Right. 
So. And it's interesting because all of those, I didn't see any of that. Yeah. Right. So mine was a little different to where, so I had gotten off work. So 24 hour shifts is, is what we worked in Arlington. And so I'd gotten off that morning at 7am and I'd gotten home and I was, I had, I'm living in an apartment with a couple of buddies that I went to recruit school with that were on the fire department. And so I was sitting on, I was sitting on the floor, Jesus, like I still do now watching sports center, eating breakfast. <laughs> and yeah, literally nothing has changed. With, with, with <laughs> Nothing's whiskey. changed in 20 years. Well, some things I guess have, but anyway, so I, I'm sitting on the kids. floor and, and watching sports center, eating, eating breakfast and my girlfriend at the time that I was dating that lived in Pennsylvania still, she had called me and said, Hey, did you see what happened in New York? No. And so I turned on the news and I saw that a plane hit the first tower. So we talked for a little bit and I got off the phone with her and then my mom called and I was talking to her and her and I were talking about it. And while we were on the phone, I saw the second plane hit and then I started getting a little nervous and a little excited about what was going on and what was going to happen next and all of those kind of things. And then my buddy that I lived with, Justin, Justin Scott, that I went to recruit school with, he worked on B platoon and it was a B platoon day on, on 9-11. He called me and all I could hear, I could hear wind in the background and I could hear the siren from the fire truck in the background. And he's yelling to me, dude, just get into work. Like get your ass into work right now. Hurry up. And I'm like, what, what's wrong? Like, what's happening? What's going on? And he's saying, I don't know. Just get into work. We're responding to the area of the Pentagon and the 14th Street Bridge that a plane just hit the bridge and it's down in the Potomac. That was like the initial report. And, and that's not awkward because Reagan National Airport is right there. The planes fly in and out of the, on the Potomac every day. So I believe it was like Florida flight. 27 back in the 80s had a bunch of ice on its wings it didn't get off and it crashed into the 14th street bridge on a snowy icy day in like january anyway so i think so 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 it's not it wasn't an unbelievable thing that a plane could accidentally run into the bridge and so anyway so he's yelling me to get to work so i had i had my glasses on because i wore glasses at the time i threw my contacts in and i jump in my 1994 red chevy blazer and I'm flying into work, and while I'm coming into work, I'm listening to the radio, and then I hear what has happened, that the second tower got hit, that the Pentagon's gotten hit, that we're under attack. And uh, so I go right into my fire station, the fire station three. I get there. My captain, Charles Davis, he's already there. One of the other guys from C platoon, Terry Theodore, he had pulled in after me. So we're all there, but no fire truck is there. Our engine's gone. Engine 103 then pulls up a little while later with like three different captains on it because they were having officer training that day. And so all six or seven or eight of us, whatever, we pile on the fire truck. Boom. We book it to the Pentagon. And I mean, I guess long story short is we spent the next, that was it, what, 930, 10 o'clock in the morning, all the way to almost midnight or so, maybe 1230 that night, 911 into, into 912. The evening when it got dark, they shut a lot of the exterior operations down. They set up a bunch of big ladder trucks on the edges of the fire to just kind of control it overnight because it was too dangerous to be on the roof and in the building at nighttime. So we got relieved around 1230 or maybe one o'clock in the morning. We went to TJ Community Center. We got our initial debriefing to make sure we all weren't going to go crazy after seeing everything that we saw during the day. 
We got our initial debriefing by our employee assistance people. But the next day was a C platoon day. So at three o'clock in the morning, we just went back to fire station three, slept for like two hours, woke up, showered, went straight back to the Pentagon. And for, for the most part, personally, me and a lot of those folks, we spent the next two weeks or so, two and a half weeks at the Pentagon, putting out fires in the roof, putting out little fires in the building, marking bodies, marking body parts, things of that nature. And then really after the two weeks, most of the regular firemen, we were relieved. And then we had specialty units that were called tech rescue teams. Those guys stayed for, they stayed, they were there for months with a lot of the federal partners and they were shoring up the building to make sure it didn't collapse. And they did a whole, whole, whole lot more, but that was, that was my experience. And it was different. And, And I remember probably one of the biggest things from that day, two of the biggest things from that day. It was like a war zone to where fighter planes, and I don't, I don't know what kind, F-14, 16, I don't know, fighter jets all day long, just buzzing the skyline over us, protecting us all day, just back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, because we had gotten multiple reports. All of the airwaves, they shut down. Right. But we had gotten multiple reports in the first couple hours that there was a plane that they couldn't get a hold of that was right. flying inbound to DC. They didn't know what was happening and they were gonna shoot it down or whatever they were gonna do with it. So we would evacuate the Pentagon right. for 10 or 15 minutes and then go back in. Anyway, that was one thing I remember mostly. And then the other thing I remember is that cell phones were relatively new for the most part then. There weren't a whole lot of them and, the, and there wasn't a large infrastructure right. like there is today. Right all of the lines were blocked. I mean, I tried to call my mom and dad for hours, for hours, and I could not get a hold of my mom and dad. And I know they were freaking out. And one of the ladies from from our employee assistance team, Dodie Gill, she ran the program, beautiful soul. She called my mom at one point in the evening around seven or eight, and I didn't even know, just to tell her that I was okay. And she did it for other people, not just for me. But, hey, I talked to Ryan, and he's fine. Everything's okay, that kind of deal. And that was huge for my mom and for my dad at the time because I didn't get to talk to them until midnight or 1 o'clock in the morning. So that was those are two of the significant parts of that day. That just, it, was, it was a hell of a day. It was different. It's, it's been with me forever. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I think that's, that's one of those, like, demarcation points for everybody, right? And it's regardless of of whether you were 11 or 26 or 21 and it's it's it is one of those watershed moments in history just changed changed how we thought changed how we moved changed how we did things still does i mean the reason why we go through as many scanners i remember being able to walk my parents yeah to watch them the planes take off yeah walk all the way in yeah yeah, yeah. and not have to go through metal detectors mm-hmm. Not have to stick your stuff through metal detectors. Yeah. I remember all that. And then the metal detectors came. It wasn't and then, that long ago. I mean, it's only 20 yeah. years. Yeah. It's and not it's, that long. I mean, it's, it's, TSA is still, like, I remember flying without it. I remember having, like, on airplanes, flying without the, the wall between pilot sure. and us. It was a curtain. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, yeah. it's, it's. We used to be able to sit in a cockpit. I can remember going to the cockpit and. Sitting with the pilot, did that a few times going to Florida. I can remember traveling with my aunt and my uncle when I was younger, you know, 10 or 12 years old, and literally sitting in the cockpit taking off. Oh, different, never again. Different lives, man. It's, 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 that was, like I said, it's one of those things. Like, 
I mean, those stories, I compared nothing to me sitting my fat ass on a, on a <laughs> chiropractic table, right? But <laughs> it's just, it's, it's, it's definitely, it's one of those things that changes how you see the world. Yeah, and it's interesting because the kind of like what I alluded to a little bit in the beginning, coming out of high school and stuff, I mean, I had talked to my dad about military a little bit here and there, but it was never a serious thought. When this happened, like I said, I think it was every military-aged male, or at least most of them at the time, there was so much fear and anger, or anger and fear, however you want to look at it. There was so much of it that you wanted to do something. You'd know you had just gotten kicked in the nuts, and it wasn't okay. And but I but I can remember having that conversation with my buddy Justin about joining the Marine Corps and going to do that. And my dad was just so, so against it. And and he told me, he said, you know, the, the reason why I'm against it is because it's I've lived that life and it it's not something you want to live with. It's one thing anyway, I don't want to get into that, but it's one thing that, that you you don't want to live with, right? Going to war and doing those types of things. It's not just good for you in the long run, but he said, because you've always done public service and you've done the EMS and the EMT and the fire department, you're on the front lines. And, it, and when he told me that, it, it really sunk in. And you're right. Like, man, here I am on the front lines. And then what we can't forget after 9-11 for essentially the next year was this whole anthrax stuff and anthrax oh, scares geez. that were everywhere. And every grandma and grandpa that thought they had white powder in their in their kroger mailer or whatever giant mailer that they were getting at the time and they thought somebody you know from afghanistan was sending them anthrax and we were running anthrax calls every shift i forgot about all that oh my god it was just it was just something it, so you know 9 11 was big but really 2001 and 2002 and 2003 were those were crazy times but you've never seen a more unified country yeah when, I mean, we went moving forward. It was, it was, That's for sure. The the analogy, and I, like, I love World War II history. I think that is truly one of the most amazing sure. generations. Greatest ever generation. Ends, right? And, that, and that's... That, without like, without what, doubt. That what they did, I mean, they were parachuting into Normandy at, at age 16 and stuff like that. It's it's That was the closest thing that our generation will ever have to something like that. So Yeah. Anyway. All right. Well, not to get too deep, we got yeah. we got to pull. So, what do you think? Pull we're back in the weeds. We're not in the we're not in the weeds. But nah, that was good. yeah. That so was really good stuff. So phenomenal whiskey. Well, I mean, I still have whiskey left in my glass, guys. To be I real know, honest, I don't here. Know what you're waiting Just, on? What the hell is it? You're not driving tonight. Come on. I'll refill mine and you, make yeah, it feel better about himself. You two gentlemen here, weigh a little that. Bit, weigh Go a ahead, little bit more than I do, but hey, I'm spelt. Ryan, you have 45 seconds to tell somebody oh about this whiskey. Tell them. Go. So to me, like I said, take away the perspective and take away the fact that it means something a little more special to me than most probably. It's a phenomenal whiskey. I think it's definitely one of those ones that you should have in your collection. Find the one that's right for you, whether it's it's the barrel the uh, barrel proof or the, or the small batch or just a regular straight bourbon. But uh, to me on ice... Let that thing sit for a few minutes. Let it fumigate a little bit. Pick up some of those fruity smells. To me, it's a it's a must-have. There's no doubt in my mind. 
Mr. Bougie? Mr. Bougie. Well, the bougie factor on this one is quite high for the story behind it. But okay. the uh, the mm. that was a good sound too. Yeah, good. You know, honestly, it's it is something I will put in my in my collection for the simple fact that it is it is quite tasty. It is a great just sit there and have a good conversation whiskey. It's complex. It's got some good notes and it's fun. It's a sexy bottle. That's true. It's a great looking bottle. On that note, it's dry. It's bitter. It's a really good sipping whiskey. I would drink drink this three, four, five glasses sitting and, and having a good conversation. There's no question about that. It is, I don't know. It's not It's not bougie in my opinion. This is just a good old fashioned. It's just a it's good, a good sipping whiskey. Yep. You had a long day. You want to have a nice whiskey. You don't want to celebrate something. I mean... Or you could celebrate something. It's Dude, it's a, a long it's day. A it's good, a celebration at the end of the day. It's yeah, but what I'm saying is, it's just it's it's a it's a solid whiskey. I would recommend it. Yep, it was great. Noobs. Well, very good. I hope you guys enjoyed this uh, episode of Whiskey Fit and the ones to come. Have a great day.